Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? I hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It is, of course, a little bit late on a Friday for a regular Arscast, but that was because the recording I had set up for yesterday, we couldn't go through with it in the end, so we had to put it off until this morning. Nevertheless, there is a big day of podcasting ahead for us here, for me, for you, uh, for your ears. I hope you're set up for it. By the time you will have listened to this, there will already have been the first podcast of the day available on your feed and your podcast app on Patreon wherever you get your podcasts. Tim Stillman with an exclusive interview with Arsenal goalkeeper Manuela Zinsberger. Uh, He met with her last week in the wake of her putting pen to paper on a new contract. That is available for you right now. A little later on, we will be talking to Dr. Andrew Mitchell, Associate Dean at the University of Bedfordshire. We did a podcast on Patreon with him earlier in in the season, back in August, I think. We touched on some issues around injuries, player development, rehab recuperation, injury prevention, and lots more. And we thought it would be good to revisit that in some way, but also take questions from you guys. So we've done that. We took questions on Twitter. We took questions from our Discord. And we're going to record that a little bit later on this afternoon at 3 o'clock. That will be available for you around, I would say, 4, 4.15, 4.30-ish. And then after that, we will do what we normally do for our Patreon members, which is preview the upcoming Premier League game at the weekend, which, of course, is our trip to West Ham. So myself and Lewis Ambrose will have that for you over on Patreon a little bit later on this evening as well. So there's a lot going on on the microphone today, and hopefully this will be enough to tide you through the weekend before we do get to play West Ham on Sunday. As for today's show, those of you who listen regularly will know that I talk to Ken Early from Second Captains at the start of every season for a sort of broad look at what's going on in the Premier League, what we expect and and all that. And usually, it doesn't always happen, but usually we try and hook up again mid-season to see where we are. Now, I know it's not mid-season. We're 22, 23 games in uh, and we're a little over the halfway mark. But in the wake of Arsenal's impressive and important 3-1 win over Liverpool at the weekend, where they currently sit top of the table on on 51 points, Manchester City 49, Arsenal 49. It's all very tied up there, all very exciting, and it felt like a good time to have another conversation with Ken about the, the season so far and what's left to come. So why don't we just get on and do that? It is my pleasure to welcome back to the Arsecast from Second Captains, Ken Early. Hi, Ken. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you very much. It's nice to, to catch up. Uh, you know, normally we try and do it at, at kind of the halfway point in the season, but we're a little bit over that, 22, 23 games in. Nevertheless, I, I think it is quite an interesting 
point at which to to reconvene uh, after our pre-season chat because top of the table is is quite interesting Arsenal's win over Liverpool last weekend meant that the gap was two points rather than eight points and Liverpool are top City are second Arsenal in third uh, City and Arsenal on on the same points but City have a, a game in hand how do you view the title race is there anything about what's happened this season that has been a surprise to you in any way or is this sort of an exciting trio of teams um you know to take us towards uh, may and the the denouement of this season uh well it's been a lot more um a lot more interesting than i was expecting it to be in august and the surprise element to it is the involvement of liverpool in it which certainly i wasn't expecting and I mean, I've I had several times uh, throughout the kind of autumn going into winter. Uh, I, I would think back to the first one of these we did this season and cringe <laughs> because you know that those sort of intrusive thoughts of oh god, like when you you know when you think about something that so, something flashes back into your memory yeah. of last night when you were drinking and then. You, <laughs> Did I do? Did I say that? Oh God! Oh God! Because the fear. I think talking to you, I I essentially written off um, Liverpool, saying this Jurgen Klopp thing is is over. It's finished. It's run its course. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's had it. It's finished. And, and obviously, they had this amazing uh, first half of the season. I mean, amazing compared to anything certainly I was uh, predicting for them. Um, and it was only when he announced uh, that actually he was burnt out and fed up, and he was gone. I thought, well, you know, maybe I, maybe I was under something after all. You know, I thought, <laughs> uh, I thought, I thought the guy was looking a bit beaten down last year. You know, he it seemed like sure. he'd, um, he'd kind of he was looking like, oh, I don't really know what to do with these guys anymore. And I kind of hate some of them as well. And you know, they kind of don't seem to really like. Uh, I must say, actually, I was right. So, so that uh, great moment of you know shared. Uh, sadness that everybody had. Well, I mean, not everybody was was sad to see Jurgen Klopp uh, announcing he was going to leave, but uh, there was for me a certain amount of personal vindication and relief, as well, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so them being involved has been uh, has obviously been a surprise, um, but obviously it was a big setback for them when they lost to Arsenal, and that's a kind of a pattern that they've had, um, you know, not being able to win those games this season you know they, they didn't beat Arsenal at home or away they obviously lost away they didn't couldn't beat Manchester United at home which looks like a very bad result lost away to Tottenham couldn't beat Chelsea away uh, drew away to Man City which wasn't such a bad result but you know there aren't any wins there aren't any wins in this come they did beat mm. Chelsea at home uh, recently um, but that's been a problem um, but of course they've they've had good enough results to be top of the table at this point although city city in reality are, t- are top of the table i think with their two-point gap and and the game in hand otherwise it's been kind of the only difference between what y- you would have expected the start of the season what's actually happened is city have not been as good um and that's that's really it you know i mean yeah. uh, i think arsenal have have pretty much have been at about par in terms of their in terms of their results not quite as good as last season's um, you know, first twenty-two games or whatever, but it's very difficult to 
reach those levels every well, season. I mean, they won nearly every game at this yeah. point last season. I mean, that that was Arsenal's best ever start to a league season. So I think there was always going to be a you know not quite reverting to the mean, but it's very difficult to keep up those those kinds of standards. I mean, what what's your assessment of of mid season Arsenal? There've been some you know there was a difficult period over Christmas. Obviously, um, the football is different. From last season, the sort of lightning in a bottle uh, experience that that we had as Arsenal fans where all of a sudden you're going, holy shit, this team is really, really good and probably a bit better than we expected. I think it requires a manager and his staff to do things a little bit differently next time around because you can't you can't sort of just recapture that you have to try and and develop in 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 a way and i think there have been certain signs of that with arsenal there are still you know things that they can do better things that they can improve but is the ability to you know be there be in the mix at the top of the table while you're still having that room for improvement, a positive thing for Arsenal? Or is it one of those where, okay, you're kind of hanging on by your fingernails and, and it could go wrong? No, I, th- I mean, I think Arsenal are in a great position. Um, you know, I mean, last season they were they were in that, we're leading, I mean, but at the end of January last season, it, I thought they were going to actually win the league. Uh, and then obviously City went on. The, because if you remember City, Again, the first half of the season last season wasn't as good as the second half turned out to mm. be for City. Um, and, you know, Arsenal, I think after the, the win against uh, Aston Villa and, and then was the Brentford game, the Reese Nelson game, was it Brentford or Bournemouth? Bournemouth. 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 Um, the, these were, the, those were moments when it looked as though, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a different kind of pressure, the feeling of we're in a position where we, we kind of should win it now. And they're the, you know, City were the ones who were, who were kind of in the chasing position, which I think they find quite comfortable. Mm. Um, and, you know, Arsenal hadn't been in that situation before. So eventually we all know what happened. I think the situation they're in now, I mean, they have the experience of last season. Um, it's a question of whether they can beat Manchester City. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what it comes down to. I mean, it, it kind of came down to that last season as well. And we know how it went. But this season, I think they've probably got a better chance of of actually doing it because if you look at their um, record in these in these big games, it's been very good. I mean, they, they completely um, snuffed out Liverpool. Yeah, the other day, you know, the, Liverpool couldn't couldn't get into that game at all. Couldn't do anything in midfield at all. Just just couldn't. You know, they, they were they, they were backs to the wall the whole game. It felt like, mm. and you don't see that happen to them very often. No. And if they can do that to Liverpool, I don't see why they can't also do that to, to Manchester City. Well, they've already beaten Manchester City this season, in fairness. You know, mm. it, it is at home, I mean, but obviously away is away is a, a different prospect, for sure, you know, because um, because of how City are in, in the second half of the seasons in particular. I mean, Barney Rone wrote a piece in The, in the Guardian uh, this week. He was talking about um, Manchester City in annihilation mo- uh, mode. He said... You know, the Death Star is preparing its destructor beam. And it's hard to kind of escape that um, sense or fear or, or realization or, or reality, I guess, when it comes to Manchester City, because this is what they do. And this is how they've won so many titles that, that what they do in the second half of the season feels just so relentless and, and so inevitable. Is it important? How important is it, rather, or is it actually important for the Premier League to to go somewhere 
other than Manchester City this season? Does it make any big difference to the to the Premier League as as a product? I think you know many neutral fans would probably prefer to see another team win it just for at least the sake of some sense of competition because what would this be? This would be six out of the last seven for Manchester City if they go on and and win it this season. Um, And I do have a question about the competitiveness of the Premier League, um, which I'll I'll put to you in in a moment. But in terms of who can actually win the title and who's capable of going the distance – is it important for the Premier League to be able to sell itself around the world as the best league in the world while one team is just winning it season after season? Well, I mean, uh, obviously we're all, <clears throat> we're all still watching it. Uh, mm. And, you know, Man City have been doing this for a while and it continues to be, you know, far bigger than the other leagues. It's not, it's not as though I haven't really detected any currents of, oh, this Premier League isn't really you know, it's not that good anymore. You know, it's just Man City winning. Because the fact is, like, you, you just keep getting brilliant games, you know? Like, there's so many good players in the in the Premier League now yeah. because of it being so much richer than all the others that you get, you know, every... I mean, they've just had a 45-goal, um, you know, match week. Yeah. Which is, a, which is a record or whatever. You know, there's a lot of brilliant games in there, which you, you don't... I mean, most people aren't watching the Man City games. Just like, oh well, City got three points again. You know what I mean? But it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like it, there, there is enough to sort of be getting on with. You get a four-four um, with Luton Newcastle, for example, and that's just uh, mayhem and entertainment. Yeah, you know. So, so like week by week, I think there's there's a lot to like, and then at the end of it, Man City win the league. I'm sure they would love the Premier League. Would definitely rather somebody other than Manchester City was was able to win it. But you know, there's not much they can do about that. Um, as long as Man City keep winning every game, so I don't know. Like, I mean, I I don't think it's good, and, and obviously the whole the whole issue with City at the moment is that uh, you know where where well they've broken all these rules, and it's sort of well if they if they hadn't broken the rules, uh, I, I say they've, they've broken these rules. I mean that's yet to be mm. established or or proven. But were that to happen, um, then it's a case of well, you know, this team. Um, broke, broke a lot of rules, got into a very dominant position, you know, won, what, six out of seven or five out of six um, league titles. And now it all looks, it's all, it all looks a bit Juventus. You know, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, that's obviously not good. I mean, the thing is that, that, that Serie A, I mean, I, I remember Serie A in the, in the 80s and 90s being the, what the Premier League is now in terms of it was regarded around the world as the, highest stand the highest standard league sure it had the star players um you know it had it had the best players in the world tended to show up at, at italian clubs uh and it, actually it was quite competitive in terms of uh different teams um, were able to win the league or, or challenge for the league so it had all these elements and it was really only when they started enforcing uh, some rules that the whole shine went off the thing, you know, when hmm. when they when they found that Juventus had been uh, nobbling refs uh, all along, you know, and um, mm-hmm. and demoted them. That it sort of, that I mean, the demotion of Juventus, while richly in, in two thousand and six, while richly deserved, um, did really damage the standing of the league. You know, it's yeah. it's it's like a, first of all, what the, the you know Inter Inter started winning it every year, but like no one really took it seriously because everybody you know Juventus were an integral part of the of the league, even though they 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 were cheats and and 
<laughs> they think they deserve to be relegated. But the the overall impact of of punishing them, of actually enforcing you know the rules against them was was the national league so that's the situation maybe the premier league has as well the, it could be case city end up getting punished it, you know uh, deservedly we don't know what, what's going to happen or how you know the evidence i'm sure city city's legal team will have a lot to say but if, even if they do end up getting punished that's going to be bad for the league as well in a, in a couple of different ways retrospectively in terms of all of the titles that they've had which are now and tainted and also going forward in terms of maybe the best team in the in the league isn't going to be there or has been kind of taken out in some unnatural way you know it's yeah. it's not a good situation but for now um for now they just keep plugging away i mean it's kind of mad when you when you talk about Serie A and what happened to Juventus and then they came back and won what was it seven or eight in a row maybe more yeah you know uh, yeah but I mean, I mean the, the whole the whole league i think had taken a nose so oh, i'm sure not just it wasn't just the punishment of and, and Juventus, of course, weren't the only club punished in relation to that, but they were the biggest, and it was the biggest punishment. Um, I mean, there, there was also in the background the whole the economic growth of the Premier League was going on at yeah. a pace that Serie A couldn't keep couldn't keep up with. La Liga was the kind of gold standard league for the during the Messi and Ronaldo uh, era, and you know, largely because those clubs were paying the highest wages in the world, Real Madrid and Barcelona. You know, they were they were taking. The best players from Premier League clubs, you know, Fabregas, Suarez, Bale, you know, sure. they, 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 they had the Ronaldo, of course, they had their pick of, of the best players. Uh, now that the Premier League really, I think, is in that position, um, uh, which, which is what is, is making it kind of irresistible at the moment. I mean, I think this season has been, has really been brilliant so far. Uh, in terms of the number of things uh, happening, I mean, Tottenham have been very interesting, a lot, a lot more so than you would have maybe expected, given their form at the end of last season, you know, losing Hurricane and, and so on. Manchester United have been, you know, compelling, as always, <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea, you know, a never-before-seen way to fail. They're showing us something we've never seen before. No one has, ever, no, no one has <laughs> done this before. And that is, you know, you just don't get these types of things happening in other leagues. You just don't. No team spends a billion pounds on transfers in, you know, the space of hardly barely over a year and does this. Yeah. And that's why it continues to be, um, you know, the top spectacle. I mean, do you think it is more competitive, despite the, the, the Manchester City thing and, and the sort of procession to the title that they've enjoyed, um, for whatever reason, um, you know, there is obviously a you know a very strong sporting element to it in that they have a very good structure and the best manager in the world. But but that's all tied to the money and how that money has been procured and all the rest. But beyond that, do do you think it's more competitive than it has been? I was looking at this like the the gap between first and fifth this season after twenty two games is seven points. Last season it was eleven points. Season before that, 20 points. Season before that, again, was was 11 points. But the season before that, which I think was maybe the COVID season, I can't remember, but the gap between first and fifth was 30 points. So there's been sort of like an equalization of, of talent, quality, ability. You know, a team like, we talked about surprises. You know, I think Arsenal fans will have been especially surprised by what Aston Villa have done this season because I don't think any anyone a expected that from from Aston Villa and we have our own experience of of Unai Emery which is you know doesn't tally with what Villa are doing and how they're doing it and where they are in the table so 
you know, do you think it is in spite of all the the focus on City and their 115 charges that that in general it is a much more competitive league than than maybe people uh, think? Um, well, I, I think it has. I think it has been, um, and, and I, I think it's it's ultimately a result of of just the the quality of players that you find. Mm. You know, at every you know, if you look at every team, I mean, Palace are fourteenth. Like Olise and Eze are brilliant players. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like um, you know, Forest, Forest have got really good players. They're like sixteenth in the in the league. Um, I mean, every team apart from. To be honest, there hasn't been too much uh, to impress anyone at Burnley and Sheffield United this season. Every other team has got like reasons to to watch them, mm. you know, or to or to sort of strengths in the team, which are which on a on a given day can can make a difference. So um, yeah, I, I do feel that. Like I mean, if you, if you look at at the, at the moment, Liverpool are top. Um, they've already got they've already they've drawn six and lost two. I mean, if you think back to Man City's Centurion season, 2018. Uh, they they finished with I think their 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 record at the end was 132, drawn four, lost two. Mm. So that was so that, that was how they got the hundred points. So um, so already the 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 leaders after 23 games this season have have dropped more points than City dropped in the entire season 2018, which is I think uh, you know an indication that yeah. Uh, at least there's nobody quite so far ahead. Uh, I mean, at the moment I'm looking at it, and Man City can still get, I think, 97 points, um, <laughs> and I feel like they're probably going to get over 90. And whenever you get over 90, it's like, okay, this team is, was 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 well ahead of. Usually, it means this team is well ahead of everyone. But we'll yeah. we'll see. We've got a few more games to go. Just uh, back to Jurgen Klopp very quickly. How much do you think his sort of burnout and his decision to uh, to call it quits is related to Man City rather than just sort of eight years in a job in a very high uh, pressure, high stress job in you know in the Premier League? That there must be a, a sort of it must make you exhausted to do. Um, as well as Jurgen Klopp has done at Liverpool, and and not win more, um, and he's maybe a bit un- unfortunate or whatever you want to call it to to exist within the era of Manchester City. But it, it feels to me anyway that there's a a fairly strong through line between City and his decision. I don't think so. No, I, I no, I, don't, I think he's I think he's used to it. <laughs> I mean, he's spent like the last what ten years of his life um, losing. To Pep Guardiola, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. like he, he, it, Guardiola came in at Bayern. I mean, Bayern, to be fair, had won the title in 2013. Um, Klopp had won the previous two with Dortmund. Bayern won the title in 2013. And that was when Guardiola arrived in 1314. Um, uh, he replaced had won that first post, the, the first title. Uh, Klopp was going for three in a row. Yopankas won the title. Since then, it's been Guardiola. Uh, Guardiola obviously won the league uh, the two seasons that they were competing against each other in Germany. And then um, they both arrived in England, Klopp a half season before Guardiola. And since then, it's just been Guardiola beating Klopp. So what is it? What is he up to now? This is going to be uh, eight out of eight out of nine years that they've competed against each other. Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming, I'm making the, the working assumption City are going to win it again this year. 
uh, I'm sure that is annoying to him. But I, I think it's also just been the way that it is. It's like he's, I, I think that he's probably been enjoying his work and you know enjoying what Liverpool have done and you know he, it's it's been a, like a great job for him. You know, I think I think he's, I don't get the sense that he's like broken or frustrated by multiple disappointments in the job. I think that he's literally just. Uh, you know, on a on a physical level, feeling old, feeling older uh, than he was. I mean, you re- you remember Wenger talking about? Um, well, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I remember Wenger talking about. Uh, you need. I think it was around the time of his 60th birthday, which would have been what 2009. Uh, and people were like, oh, you know, you're 60. It's a big milestone, or something. And and he was talking about like the the animal strength you need to do this job. Mm. You know, uh, you need you need animal, which obviously he he still felt that he had. Although even then he was talking about sort of losing a bit of energy. I think that that's, I think that's really what's going on here. I mean, Klopp like smokes a lot. You know, this he's he's not. I don't know if he's in great nick physically. You know, if you look back to Klopp in his in his early um, his first season. You'd see him charging down the touchline, like leaping in the air. Do you remember? Uh, I think it was a game against Arsenal. Um, there was a three-all draw between yeah. Arsenal and Liverpool um, at the Emirates. Uh, no, I think it was at it was at Anfield. Uh, it was the relay goal by Joe Allen? Um, oh, it was yeah. a three. It's 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 a it's a good. It's going back years, and I, and I I think there was a big jump. You, you never see Klopp jumping in the air anymore. I, I can't remember the last time I saw the man jump. Now you can still manage without jumping. That's you know it's not a core skill, <laughs> but I think it is reflective of of like. You know, and okay, you listen to him. Uh, the thing that he complains about is not is not Man City. Uh, he has complained a little bit about Man City. I mean, he's he's had a few pops that like you know there are three teams who can do what they want, and, and he's talking mm. about City, PSG, and Newcastle. But mainly, the thing he's talking about is fixtures and how, and how many there are, and how they're cramming the calendar more and more. And he complains about this all the time. You know, it's more than anybody else. I think. And more, more consistently than anyone else in football. Mm. Um, and, you know, he, I, I guess the assumption was, well, he's talking about the players, the players having to do this, and they're, they're getting burned out and so on and so forth. He's talking about himself as well, you know? Oh, my God, I'm up at five and going to the airport again. Or, you know, yeah. this kind of – it's like I honestly think that, that that is the reason. I think he was – Germany tried to hire him, I think, after they um, – got rid of i mean at this towards the start of this season germany were hiring him and i mm. or try, rather trying to hire him and i think at that point he thought jesus i can't fancy this job but if i leave now it's i'm kind of leaving a loser you know i'm, I'm sort of last season his, his last full season would have been this awful um kind of a failure um and then he would have been sort of leaving them in the lurch at the beginning of a new season mm. i think he didn't he felt like that would be bad but I feel that that's that's what he wants to do now. He 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 would like to be the Germany national team manager, and I think will be will probably be their manager at the twenty twenty six World Cup. I mean, all, all going all going well. I think that's that's probably his career plan because I think he still obviously wants to be a manager, and and there are still things he would like to do in football. I mean, he's only fifty six still, mm. but maybe this this type of really intense. You know, game, game, press conference, press conference. It's just um, he's 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 burned out by it. I, I honestly believe that's that's what's going on. So so the the more uh, you know, 
the, the sort of 10 game a year schedule of being a, an international manager is something which would appeal to him. And, you know, the, the, the opportunity to manage Germany in the World Cup, a World Cup in the United States, maybe win the World Cup with Germany, that would be a really big deal. Mm. You know, that, that's like, uh, that's not just some some sort of retirement clock, you know, um, token nonsense. I mean, sure. that, that, that would be huge. It would be the opportunity to do in the coaching sphere what Messi ha- has done, what Messi managed to do in 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 2022. You know what I mean? To sure. to, to 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 succeed, to have the sort of ultimate success on on, on at both levels of the game, uh, and I think that that sort of interests him as does all the time off that you would get. So. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I don't think it's it's just a, a question of oh, I've lost to City too many times. I can't do this anymore. I think he's he's always been he's always been happy to sort of be the be the underdog. I mean, when I say the underdog, I mean the second biggest dog. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the second biggest dog in the in the race, uh, rather than sort of being the you know the the Death Star commander. Sure. Uh, and I think I think he could have kept doing that if if he was still feeling as he did ten years ago. You had a podcast on on Monday. I thought it was quite interesting, especially in the wake of some of the stuff we saw after the uh, the Arsenal Liverpool game celebration, police, and all the rest of it. You were talking to Jonathan Wilson about pundits and punditry and club colours and and the, the way media uh, or the way football rather is is being covered now on on the main channels like Sky Sports, like TNT, and and beyond, where the sort of the role of the pundit has shifted quite a bit over the last number of years where you would have an ex-player from a certain club and you, you kind of knew that there was, you know, an association, a bias, whatever you want to call it, but but the job itself called for a certain amount of, of objectivity. Um, and that is, I think the lines have become a little bit blurred there over the last number of years, maybe because of the the, the Carragher Neville dynamic and and the rivalry between Liverpool and, and Manchester United. I mean, do you think it's a do you think it's a problem for football punditry, or is it just a sort of natural consequence of of where we are with the way people consume media these days, with what people are looking for? Where they do have their fan outlets, whether it's Ars Blog or Anfield Rap or whatever it might be, you know they they can always get that anyway. But this this sort of blurring of the media lines between sort of fan created content and actual mainstream media um, has this is a, a different era of of punditry and how the game is going to be covered from now on. Well, uh, I mean, I think that that's. I mean, we, we, we were talking to Jonathan Wilson about this mm. um, and he was saying, well, you know, the pundit should be there to do this and should be should be there to provide analysis and so on. But that's not what people want, clearly, right? What people want mm. is to is the transmission of emotion. I say I say it in that weird way because that's what they that's kind of that's how they say it in Spain, where they've been doing this for a, a much longer time because they cottoned on to this much earlier, that this is actually what people want and they've had it they've had it in spain they've had it in italy you know you see those tv shows where like there's this old guy with a mustache who's like the world's biggest milan fan and every time <laughs> milan does you know he kind of runs around the studio this old guy runs around celebrating and everybody is watching this going this is incredible i love this or Th- thomas roncero is uh, you know one of the sort of star um journalists in spain and he's just like 
he's just the sort of Real Madrid Goebbels, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just like he, he's just uh, you know he he, he he will literally cry on television, you know, if something if some injustice happens to Real Madrid, and yeah. he could, he could, you know he can he can imagine an injustice out of anything like this is his gift. And people are, people can't stop watching this, you know. Well, I mean, people can't, people can't stop watching it. But let's say, let's say the sort of tear streaked hysteria of Thomas Roncero comfortably, comfortably outcompetes the sober analysis of well, I don't know who's still doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why, why would you do that? <laughs> um, and you know, that's sorry. Like it's you know, I mean, it's not as though people are are most people when they watch football are objective about it anyway. And the whole point is not to be objective. You know, in terms of what why people enjoy sure. watching it, like you can't enjoy it if you are completely objective. The idea is to be is to identify with a team, and then if the team wins, you know, you share in the uh, in the happiness, and if the team loses, then you're angry and and despondent. You know, that's it's kind of the point of the exercise. Yeah, I mean, what was Jonathan's point? Not sort of like well. I mean, there is a distinction, obviously, between the role of a uh, a pundit and, let's say, a journalist or a reporter. And I think where he took some issue was the the idea that as a reporter, as somebody who's there ostensibly to cover the game objectively, um, depending on the outlet you work for, for example, like if you're working for Marca or if you're working for El Mundo Deportivo, your 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 objectivity is is very different, you know, but. But the role of the pundit is different from that of a journalist. They are there to, to sort of maybe provide some analysis, which I think, you know, some of them do very well. And, um, you know, even some of the guys who are like Carragher got pelters over the weekend for his get down the tunnel stuff to Martin Odegaard. Right. Mm, Understandably yeah. so. But it was a bad moment for a bad moment for him, I thought. Sure. But like on Monday Night Football, he produced some really good analysis on on the way Arsenal defended against Liverpool. Mm. So, you know, it is possible to, on the one hand, you know, um, let your let your club bias shine through and and you get pilloried for it. But on the other, you, you're capable of of producing some good stuff. But but the the punditry role uh, in and of itself versus that of a journalist, I think, is is different. Well, I, I think Carragher has always been a, a really good analyst you know like i mean i think that's the reason why he he kept his job following the mm. previous incident you know which was mentioned a lot in the in the wake of the Odegaard stuff every time there was a tweet about it you could see people in the replies talking about <laughs> well what are, you know we we know what happened there um the reason that 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 he's still working for sky after that is because they were like well he is actually really good I mean, maybe a couple of months suspension you know and, and it sort of was mm. was all right i, I think that the thing that you can see with Carragher, uh, besides the fact that he's clearly a massive Liverpool fan who was um, who was really angry watching Odegaard celebrate this what for him was a painful uh, painful result, mm. is that he he actually has a real passion for the game itself, which I don't think for for instance Gary Neville really still has. I you know, agree like, with that. Yeah, yeah. That Neville is like Neville's got bigger fish to fry now. You know, he's kind of he he's he's moved into other fields. You know, he's he's got like a million. He's juggling a million different balls, of which football is one. Um, Carragher, I think, is still really into football, which is why he's able to still sort of produce interesting 
thoughts about the actual game as we you know as it's as it's played you know the, the sort of he, he can come up with these interesting segments of analysis which is a while i, I can't really, really remember it's a while since i've seen neville do that and in that respect i think character is better than most of the ones obviously he gets a he 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 has more time to do it like he's running that monday night football show you know there's there's not many people there's not many pundits who are given that sort of canvas let's say to um, to show us their thoughts about the game. Maybe there are others who could do what Carragher does, but I'd say he's probably the best in that respect. Um, you know, uh, where, where did I where did I start with this? <laughs> where, what was I talking about at the beginning? Uh, we were talking about sort of pundits, journalists. Um, yeah, yeah, being being kind of biased. Like, I mean, I, I think what you get often is, is is also this sort of overcorrection, where because um, Everybody knows the pundit is like is there to be like the, the you know like with Neville the Manchester United pundit he's like he just is kind of quite negative about Manchester United I think to the extent of almost for oh you know I don't want people to say to accuse me of just being biased in favor of Manchester United all the time why don't I slaughter them now but never in a very interesting way it's always well the owners the, the culture here is toxic blah blah blah. blah. Um, and at the end of it, you're kind of like, you're kind of like, oh, this isn't really that interesting, you know? Mm. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, part, part, part of it is obviously, I mean, Martin Keown, for example. Yeah. Martin Keown, Martin Keown is sometimes funny to watch when, when he starts, you know, you, you see him on with like Simon Jordan or whatever. Uh, and he gets actually angry about some Arsenal-related thing. I mean, the thing is, you want to watch this sort of stuff. Like Keown may be spouting nonsense, but you do want to watch an angry man sort of in a, in a slightly flustered way refuting um some needling points that are being put to him by you know in yeah. in, in an argument i mean that's just, it's just intrinsically entertaining i mean i don't know whether it, it it advances our understanding of anything but like who cares about that at this point like purely <laughs> entertainment um sort of trumps that at every level uh you know in terms of uh, in terms of what people want to want to consume about football, that does seem to be the way things are going. Yeah. All right. And let's just finally finish on uh, an upcoming announcement from IFAB, which is that um, they're going to trial sin bins, uh, and that would mean a, a blue card. Players could be sent to a sin bin for 10 minutes for dissent or for a cynical foul. We haven't got the full details of it yet because, um, well, the announcement hasn't happened. But but obviously it would have a, a fairly a fairly substantial impact on the game and the way that it is officiated. Um, I mean, just broad thoughts on the idea of the sin bin in professional football versus perhaps, you know, proper implementation of the card system or is the card system now the yellow red card system you know are there too many decisions that are showing that there are flaws with this and and it's about time perhaps something changed in the game because you know you can see certain fouls that aren't really they maybe deserve a little bit more than a yellow card but not a red card and there are often soft red cards for two yellows which you know in the 
in the grand scheme of things, you don't want to see, generally speaking, um, you know, players sent off for, for very, very little. So this could be sort of a halfway house between, you know, what would be ordinarily a soft red card. It gives, you know, the team in question a, a chance to, you know, dig in for 10 minutes and, and, and get their 11 men back when, you know, the, the situation doesn't necessarily merit a red card. So, you know, have you any thoughts on this, um, you know, particularly in the, in the era where, you know, VAR was introduced to help us get more things right, but only seems to have helped us get uh, things increasingly wrong in ways that we've never seen before. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't think this is necessary. You know, I, I mean, I, I feel as though we're in a phase of kind of tinkering with refereeing. I mean, when I say tinkering, obviously the, the VAR thing was was a huge change in refereeing, like a transformative change in in refereeing, which in my opinion has made the game worse. Um, but this is like more sort of let's let's change some things. And and you always just end up thinking of Father Ted, you know, fixing the dent in his car. And, and <laughs> you know, at the end of it, you're like, what, what are we doing here? Like every time they uh, bring in some change, there are, there are some unintended consequences of it. And we've seen so much of this type of thing happening with VAR. The net effect of it all, of the, the VAR experience to me has been just to make refereeing much more central to the game yeah. and much and much more controversial than it was when in fact the, the whole point of it, it in in theory at the outset was well we'll have better decisions and people will be less angry about referees and there'll be less uh, screaming about referees and of course it's actually just meant there's more refereeing to be done uh, smaller and smaller things are being refereed and re-refereed and um, people are getting angry over smaller and smaller injustices. Um, this blue card thing is just seems like a new way of sort of confusing the picture. It's like, is that a red? Is it a yellow? Or is it a blue? What, what, you know, there's, there's, there are more mistakes. There, there are more mistakes. It, it opens up new fields of, mm. of incompetence for that the referees can sort of plunge into. I don't really, I just don't really get it. Like, well, like if it's if it's dissent, then that should be a yellow card. Like, what we're talking about a blue card for dissent? Is that if you call the referee? Like, is there a is there a list of blue words that you, <laughs> you know that you can call? You can there are you know there's yellow words like you can yeah. say to the ref, and then if you call them a cheat or something else, it's a blue word. Ugh. I don't, or maybe cheat is red. I I don't know. Like it just. It's just like, what do you, you know, what is this? And the, the fundamental problem with football, uh, with refereeing, is the is for me is the VAR. Is the referee is no longer the referee. Um, people expect the referees to be able to see everything and judge it accurately without ever uh, accepting that. In many of the, in the case of many of these decisions, there is no correct decision. It's just a matter of how you interpret a situation mm. and people can look at the same thing. We know this. People can look at the same incident and come to different conclusions about what the right decision about it should be. Yeah. Like he's clearly got his, that's clearly a deliberate handball versus now it's not that ball's bounced up and it's hit him there. Well, his hand shouldn't be there or, Oh look, he's actually made contact with the ball slightly before versus you can't go through a, an opponent like that, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's like a million different things like this. And like there is no, there actually is no correct decision, um, but there is going to be 
people who are going to be angry with any given decision. And when, when everyone sat there looking at the video replay for three or four minutes, and then the referee issues a decision, it makes it more annoying to be on the wrong end of that decision. Yeah. Because, I mean, because at least it's so, so really it's, it's, you know what, they're talking about how this is, um, Fiorentino Perez, for example, when he's going on about the Super League, one of the one of his talking points is always young people don't watch football anymore, which, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure about it's a convenient thing for him to say. And I think it probably has something to do with a lot of football being behind paywalls uh, for a start. Sure. You know what I mean? Like it, the, the Champions League in a lot of European countries is, is a sort of a pay is a pay TV uh, thing. Uh, we're a little bit luckier in Ireland in, in that respect, but in a lot of places, it's not on free-to-air television. Okay, so that's a problem. But you know what one um, obvious uh, shortcoming is between real football and, like, video football, video game, uh, PlayStation football, is there is no VAR review in, <laughs> like, you don't, in, in like, a, in a video game, you do not have a four-minute break <laughs> while while these, like, middle-aged uh, men stand around going, oh, you know, what? what's it going to be? You know, this is ridiculous. Like, it's so, it's it's just such nonsense to have everybody standing and waiting. Like, we do we have the time as a planet? Do we have the time to be sitting around for four or five minutes waiting for a bunch of bald guys to, to issue a wrong decision about something that they could have issued a wrong decision about at the moment it happened and we all would have... We all would have got on with it. Yeah. Like, do we really? Like, it's just how is this an improvement? Like, how is it? An, how is it an improvement to have like ten minutes of of stoppage time? Like, ninety minutes isn't ninety minutes anymore. How is this? How is this better? Really? Like, I mean, it's still it's still a game, you know? Yeah. Like, um, it, it just sort of takes longer. No one knows when it's going to be finished. Uh, there are still wrong decisions. It's just they take longer. This is just. I know you asked me about blue cards. I'm just kind of looking at this going, all right, instead of just erasing or rolling back the mistakes they've already inflicted on the game, they're just like thinking up new ways to sort of complicate things. I don't really understand um, what it is. But I suppose if you're IFAB, you know, you've got to justify your existence somehow, you know. Yeah. Well, we've got to come up with some ideas, you know. They want us to come up with some ideas. So you, so you just, I don't know, spout out this. Oh, yeah. Look, I, I I'm sure we'll all be, there'll be some really exciting blue card controversy next year that everyone will. <laughs> <laughs> I, li I like this from, uh, from uh, Jamie O'Hara, former Tottenham player. Blue cards getting introduced. The game is absolutely gone. Seriously. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, I agree with him. You know, he, he basically just said what I've said, but like much, much pithier. You know, yeah, it didn't yeah. take as long. To well, he, out, said, so. he said, take me back to the early 2000s. Lampard, Scholes, Gerrard, Stoke on a Tuesday night, Crouchy doing the robot. What the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, that is brilliant. Now, that is, that is, that's a, that's that's a brilliant tweet. There's I mean, the, is, that's a what a time capsule that is, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, the early two thousands. I mean, my, my, you know, to me, the game was already gone by the early two thousands. Halcyon days of, of football in the Premier League, of course. All right. Yeah. Well, look, we'll see what happens with blue cards and all the rest. We better leave it there, though. Ken, as ever, great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Good to talk to you, Andrew. Talk to you soon. Good luck. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you very much indeed to Ken. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ken Earlies, at Ken Earlies, and of course on Second Captains, which you can find out more about if you don't know anything about them at secondcaptains.com. Right. Let's leave it there for this particular episode. No fucking around at the end of this one because we still have plenty to do today. As ever, thank you very much indeed for being with us. Hope you enjoyed the show and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. And now, ladies and gentlemen, and in the presence of your royal highness, please welcome to the stage the poet laureate, Sir James Montague O'Hara. Cards getting introduced. The game has absolutely gone. Seriously, take me back to the early 2000s. Lampard, Skulls, Gerard, Stoke on a Tuesday night. Crouchy. Doing the robot. What the hell happened? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.